0: You're listening to the Hub City Church Podcast. To learn more about Hub City Church, including our gathering times, you can check out our website at albanyhubcity.com. If this is your first time to Hub City, welcome. If you've been around for a while, you know that we most often, uh, how we like to present God's Word is pick kind of a Uh, book of the scriptures and just walk through it and say whatever God has for us today Um, then that is what it is going to be what we're doing in this kind of this is the fourth week of a four-part series it's a little bit more topical okay we kind of have more of a topic and so it's a little bit all over the place we're not just walking through one passage or one thing So I'm really excited because coming up in a few weeks, we are going to be walking through the book of 1 John. And If you've ever read through 1 John or looked into it, it's just immediately just just incredible and heavy in a good way of just coming to terms with just the intense love God has for his people. So I'm really excited for that. So look for that coming up. Um, Obviously, next week is Easter, uh, which will be great, and that'll kind of be its own things. But this is the last part of this Rhythms of Grace series for this section, Uh, we've been focusing on rhythms that are more community-based, okay, so the first one we actually looked at four weeks ago was on community, okay, and community we kind of talked about is basically using those words, those Greek words, uh, we're a gathered people, an ecclesia, dedicated to the Lord, the curiaque, where we get the word church, and then building up one another, which is that word koinonia, or fellowship, okay, Then we looked at worship, the rhythm of grace of worship and the fruit of a community that is marked by worship. We looked at the kind of what worship does, the fruit of it is it creates awe of who God is in us. It's telling his story of what he's done. It's showing us that it's built on sacrifice, based on Christ laying his life down for others and, of course, being unified by the Spirit. And then last week um, was a big Sunday and kind of talking about confession. What does it look like for a community to be marked by the rhythm of confession? But we looked at not just confession and the heavy sense of confessing sin. That's super important, and we need to be a people that do that. We also need to confess Jesus, okay, and put a Lord on our life. So today is on celebration. So the rhythm of celebrate. So what do we usually celebrate? What are classic historical things we celebrate, right? I just listed a few. They're not in a particular order. We have President's Day, Valentine's Day, Easter, Memorial Day, Fourth of July, Labor Day, Halloween, if you like that one, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and the list goes on, right? There's things in our calendar that we just recognize as a society. We're just going to celebrate these things. There's also just like human birthdays that aren't necessarily on everyone's calendar, but that would be like birthdays, Right, there would be like graduation days or wedding days or you got a job or promotion or something like that. Um, There's also death days or what we call celebration of life, right, where someone's life has ended. And there's usually also, we try to say a celebration of let's look back on their life now and what they contributed. At the end of the day, if you step back and you realize on a grand scale, our celebrations usually consist of something to do with history and something to do with humans. Okay, that's, it's really hard to find something that doesn't have any agenda. Of course, there is some occasional parties that someone just throws just because no agenda. And in the Hebrew language, this is called a shindig. Okay, that's a joke. No, it's not. But you could argue that even that is a celebration of like, it's just humanity. Like, we're alive, let's party, right? We're humans, right? It's tough to celebrate when it truly doesn't have anything to do with something to do about history or something to do with humans. And it makes sense. When you're born it's incredible right you're here you were not here and now you're here that's pretty incredible right but when we talk about the rhythm of celebration as a jesus follower we have to fight against the paradigm of celebrating just humans and just history that that common in our culture and human narrative and i'm gonna i'm gonna um, walk through this with you guys today For us today, and this rhythm, this is not about being a people who celebrate or party, okay? This is not about a people who just celebrate. This is about being a people who are marked by celebration, okay? And there is a difference. We'll walk through that today. Celebration as a rhythm for a Jesus follower is not to just be an event that we're good at throwing regularly. Right? Sure, there's a place for that. Jesus loves a good party. Remember, in, in, in the wedding at Cana, he turns the water into the finest wine. He's all about it. But most importantly, the fruit of our lives as Jesus followers and the church community together should be that of a celebratory people because of the confidence and hope based on the promises of God. The world largely celebrates in response to circumstances or in efforts to gain a feeling or to enjoy a moment. We celebrate continuously despite our circumstances because of who God is. Celebration is a fruit, an outpouring of our faith. You can think of it this way. It serves as a rudder for a ship that keeps us steady, to keep us steering toward the hope God sets before us. No matter what storm passes by, our practices or rhythm of celebration keeps us on track, no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in. So I'm going to argue three things today. We are a people marked by celebration when, first one, we know what story we are a part of. Okay, this is the first one. Now, this is a sermon, not a TED Talk. (laughs) So we're going to dive into a ton of scripture today. Uh, So get your Bibles out, smartphones, if you memorize the whole thing, congratulations. You should probably be up here. But this topic, it prompted my mind to ask the question, well then, let's think about this. How did God have his ancient people celebrate? Right. We should probably ask this question. Let's look to the word, how did God have this? So think about it, let's walk through this. After the initial establishment of who his people are through Abraham, and then freeing them from slavery hundreds of years later, and then to reestablish his people at Sinai, hopefully this is all sounding very familiar, God is with his people in the desert, giving them kind of these rules of life. Remember, and and it wasn't just rules like commandments weren't supposed to just be like, follow this and you'll be perfect. It was the idea, the heart behind it is like a lattice for vine to grow healthy and to bear fruit. Okay, this is why he's giving these kind of rules of life. So the books of Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and, and some of Deuteronomy, have most of the narrative of the people of God's journey but there's a book in between that has kind of this slow down, hyper-focused, magnifying glass on, sometimes painstakingly, on every ordinance that's given, every offering, every public health issue, every ceremony, et cetera. And it is the riveting book of Leviticus. (laughs) Oh man, it just sounds rich and good, right? And honestly, like we make fun of it because it is a little bit dry. It's actually incredible. If you care about it and you go into it, it's unreal. And just a side note, When you read stuff about, like, why do they care so much about what the priests wore and how many jewels it was on and the the temple and all the cubits, feats, and, like, all this stuff, just think about part of it is because God knows what he wants and he cares. And if you think about Tower of Babel, we can't help ourselves. If God says, build me a temple, and then you build it, and you had the idea... For the super flashy lights that were out front, there's, we can't help but have a little part of like, God's going to love that, and he might love me a little bit more because I decided that, right? But God told them exactly what he wants, and so there's no glory for man in what God wants designed. It's what God wants, so we do it, okay? So what God does for his people in Leviticus, we're going to walk through, is he establishes these celebrations, but they're memorial celebrations, The idea is to celebrations and feasts of the Lord is what they're called that remind the people to remember something about God. So these are feasts of the Lord. These are what the people were to celebrate yearly. You can find this in Leviticus 23 is the most kind of thorough list of it. So if you want to turn there, that'd be awesome. Follow along. Leviticus 23, 20, 23, three starts out with this. First one is a Sabbath. Okay. Heard a lot about Sabbath. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation, which is a gathering of people. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. Okay? So just begin. Begin your Feast of the Lord season. Begin by just stopping and realizing everything you have is from the Lord. You are not God. That's it. Sabbath rest. The next one, Passover, or the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which they kind of go together, right? Remember, for the people to celebrate this, now remember that at one point you were slaves. Okay, you were slaves in Egypt, and I saved you out of slavery. And if you go read, I think it's in Exodus 12, in your haste, you were not able to, they weren't able to grab any leaven or a bunch of food, so they had this unleavened bread that then they took into the Desert from them until God provided manna to fall from the sky. This is chapter 23, verse 5 in Leviticus. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month of twilight, is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day, so the next day, in the same month, is the feast of unleavened bread to the Lord. Then for seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy gathering. You shall not do any ordinary work, but you shall present a food offering to the Lord for seven days. So this one's funny because it's kind of like, let's come and have a feast of remembering when we had no food. So let's eat the food that we had, remembering that it's not so good and God has given us good stuff. Okay, So it's a, it's a practice of remembering thankfulness of provision. Next one, the feast of first fruits. During Passover then... Their tradition was remembering that upon entering the, um, the promised land and at harvest time, this is verse 10, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest, and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord so that you may be accepted. All right, this was an offering and kind of an ode to the Lord for providing the harvest in the promised land and its harvest. Okay, So you're tracking with me. You see there, there's these celebrations, these feasts, but they're always supposed to point back to something. They're always supposed to remind us of something. So then, seven weeks later, okay, you mathematicians out there, how many days is seven weeks? (laughs) Okay, 49, okay, (laughs) okay, I think I heard it, I trust I heard it, right? So the day after that would be 50, okay, the word for 50 in Greek is Pentecoste, or however you say it, Pentecost, okay, we've all heard that, right? So the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, literally 50 days after this now is this Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. So Leviticus 23:16, you shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of a new grain to the Lord. The primary focus for the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecostal, is to thank God for the harvest. Now, what's interesting is then later, this tradition actually gets turned into thanking God for the law. And quick tangent, this is super cool. Pentecost in the desert was God giving Moses the tablets and the law to read to the people, okay? And then if you remember, we looked at this last week, there was this prophecy later on by Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31 where God then said, one day I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts, okay? Now keep that in mind. Now fast forward to the early church in Acts and on the day, on Pentecost day, Acts 2, 1, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. These are the apostles, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. How cool is that? Pentecost in the desert, giving of the law. Pentecost then later, the spirit inside of them. Prophecy fulfilled. This is incredible, right? In the desert, God gave them this laws on the tablets, and then later in acts he gives them a the presence in their heart. super cool tangent next one feast of trumpets verse 24 of leviticus 23 in the seventh month on the first day of the month you shall observe a day of solemn rest a memorial proclaimed with a blast of trumpets a holy convocation or gathering now this one's interesting okay Their calendar was a lot different than ours. So this one launched the fall season because the ancient calendar wasn't based on the sun, it was based on the moon. So it was a lunar calendar, okay? So the new year started in the seventh month, which for them was the fall. So this is a pronouncement of the new year. You guys ever wonder why we get those little kazoo things that like blow out, whatever? Like so many things are based on something to do with the Bible and no one ever cares, right? (laughs) So it's a pronouncement of the new year and there's offerings to be made. Right? Anyone in here a New Year's resolution kind of person? No? Okay. Well, I saw a little like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I won't tell who, right? Oh, I like it. I mean, it's kind of a jumping off point, right? It's just like, ah, okay, whatever. Whether you are or not. <laughs> um, part of having a New Year's resolution is because potentially you're not okay with or, or you're displeased with how things were the last year. So even if it's like, I'm going to change these big things or small things, there's just kind of a st- new starting over, right? Well, they kind of did this too, right? The trumpets were to signify the new year is here. And what is the next thing to do in the new year? And this is what their new year's resolutions were. They would have a day of atonement. Or you've maybe heard Yom Kippur before, right? This is their new year's resolution. It was to atone for their sins, (laughs) right? Maybe we need to do that more in January, right? Chapter 23, verse 27. It shall be for you a time of holy convocation, gathering again, And you shall afflict yourself and present a food offering to the Lord. You shall not do any work on that very day, for it is a day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. Okay, so that affliction, don't get weird about it. It's immense of fast. Okay, you shall shall afflict your your hunger for that. Okay, don't whip yourself or whatever came to your mind, right? But you're going to atone through a food offering to the Lord. This, of course is rooted in Leviticus chapter 16, you can go read on your own fun time, where the high priest, who was Aaron at the time when this was established, to atone for the sins of the whole nation of Israel. Right, and this is what he would do. He would take two goats. One goat is to be sacrificed, and the blood of this goat is to atone for the sins of the nation, okay? But then the high priest would then confess all the sins of the nation upon the other goat, but instead of killing it, he would then send it away away from the people, into the wilderness. And this was to symbolize the freedom from their guilt from their sin that was just atoned for, okay? So let's just, I want to take a moment right here and just worship in Jesus. Who he is, what he did for us. Keeping all of that in mind, the Hebrews chapter 10 literally handholds us through this process. Let me just read this. Hebrews 10, 11. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, This is the covenant I will make for them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law on their hearts and write them on their minds. That should start familiar. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Back to Jeremiah 31. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. It's incredible. We should just worship Jesus in this moment. It's unreal. Understanding the story we are in and what the people had to do repeatedly is so helpful in seeing how incredible the work is that Christ has done for his people. So let's go back to the ancient celebrations. The last of the main festivals is this, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths or Sukkot right? Leviticus 23, verse 40. And you shall take on the first day of the, f- the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Okay, the idea here is that the fruit and the palm branches and the leafy trees was, as you can imagine, signs for people that were wandering in a desert of hope, Okay. When you've been wandering through a desert wilderness, what could be better than seeing a fruit tree, right? What could be better than green palm branches to provide shade? Willows of the brook means a brook, (laughs) means water, right? These were all incredible signs of life and provision. So how do they remember this? Verse 42, you shall dwell in booths, booths, Booths—it's hard to say, for seven days all native Israelites shall dwell in booths. That your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths. <laughs> That's just so funny. Is that sounding weird to you guys? We should edit that in the, oh, never mind. Okay. Dwell in booths, booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. <laughs> just That sounds so Exodus, right? Just like, I am the Lord your God. I brought you out of Egypt, right? They were to literally dwell in these like temporary tents, that's what I should be saying, right, made of palm branches and materials around them that God has provided to them just to remember that these people had to be scrappy, they had to see the provision of God, not whine and com- complain, but then live in that, in the wilderness, okay? So that was a lot. There's a lot of different celebrations that God has for his people in the scriptures. I'm going to step back, I just want to summarize those real quickly, for all of our memories, and they saw, remember these celebrations were to remember the story of God. Okay, so for them it was to remember that everything you have is from the Lord, so stop and rest in Him. Remember that you were saved out of slavery and God provided for your needs. Remember to give the first fruits of what you have to God because it's all from Him and it's all for Him. Remember to live in thankfulness that God has not only given you the law to live, but now has written it on your hearts as he dwells richly within you. Remember in the new year to make a new commitment to the Lord. Remember that atonement for your sins comes from God alone. Remember that there is hope in the God who is always taking care of you and will do it over and over and over again. Now, looking at this list, do you think this list of things to remember about our God are just things of the past? right? Of course not. As we walk with God, our lives should be marked by these remembrances too. We may not practice all these festivals anymore necessarily, but we can't forget that this story represents our story too. Remember we talked about storytelling in regards to worship. Worship part of a fruit of worship is storytelling. A couple weeks ago, the celebration that is overflowing from our lives should be telling the story of who God is and our hope that is in him. God gave the ancient Israelite people ways of life and ways of remembering that life to celebrate the story they're a part of. Now let's get to us. What modern day Christians often, I think, forget, and myself, is that we're a part of this rich history through faith. Right? We aren't just creating our own thing, or it's like, well, now what are we going to do, or create our own religion. But we're part of this rich history. We're no longer built on the law and the prophets, but on the new covenant of Jesus. We looked at last week right? Most of us in here, don't offend anybody, but most of us are not ethnically Jewish, okay? Most of us would be considered Gentiles, okay? But this is what's so cool is we were grafted in, okay? Galatians 3.28, Paul writes, there is now neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise, okay? Paul writes extensively in Ephesians about this oneness we now have, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. We looked at some of this at the start of the series, right? Once there was this wall of hostility that separated ethnic Israel from the rest, but now, Ephesians 2.14, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace and then hopefully then this sounds familiar from the start of this series so then Ephesians 2:19 so then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into this holy temple of the Lord. He was writing this to Gentiles, right? Theologically, we are now one family in Christ. If you are in Christ, you're in this Abrahamic family. That's huge in our identity, right? That means we share one narrative as a people of God, and as a community, our lives are celebrating what he has done and the promises that he has for us. So then this goes to then our identity. My next point We are a people marked by celebration when we know who we are. This mark of celebration is the one that gets most confused today, in my opinion. Most of the celebration in our culture lives here in celebrating ourselves. right? Our lives, how great we are. We would never say that, but that's kind of how it feels. All that we have accomplished. Another way to put it is our celebration is rooted in the flesh. Okay, We're here, we're alive, let's celebrate. Think about this it seems like the two most consistent personal celebrations most people have are their birthday and then their funeral. That's just the most consistent thing. There's stuff in between, right? Of course, there's stuff in between that gets celebrated all the time, but the two most consistent things is our birthday that gets celebrated all the time and then our our death day or our funeral, right? Ironically, It's a hot take. This is what a lot of Christians just give to Jesus, right? Come together twice a year. They celebrate his birthday in a manger, and then they make a weekend out of his death day, which actually ends with the he is risen day, and then the chocolate hangover hits, and then you just have to wait till the birthday, you know? As a side note, in light of what we learned in the last section, just thinking about that, being marked by celebration when we know the narrative of God, if we only celebrate Jesus' death or Jesus' life, and then Jesus' death, and then resurrection, how are we doing telling the story of God in all of our celebrations, right? That is incredible, and we're going to get to that. And there is so much in there, but that's also just that Jesus was born and that Jesus died is also about every human, right? So the remarkableness is the resurrection, and we're going to obviously talk about that next week. We'll talk about that a little bit today, right? But in general, a lot of people just say, twice a year, when he was born, and then around when he's di- dead, but it's happy because he is risen again. This is a reality of our culture today. Maybe we're trained to boil humans down to our beginning and end, and then it's just whatever you can accomplish in between, okay? But here's the problem. This sort of unintentional theology of celebration of ourselves is really worshiping who we are and what we can do. Remember, it's just Tower of Babel again. Let's make a name for ourselves. This is where this kind of self-glorification is headed and we make ourselves our own gods, and as we see over and over, it's not good. Now, I just want to give two examples. There are two people who come to mind, my mind, uh, who could have based their entire identity on their accolades, okay? John the Baptist and the Apostle Paul, okay? First, briefly, John the Baptist. Please, go read Luke chapter one today. Just go do it. You could even do it right now. If you leave right now to go read, I will allow it. But go read chapter one today as soon as you can, because it's insane. It's nuts. Okay, John the Baptist was a son of the high priest Zechariah. okay, Zechariah was made mute because he didn't believe when the angel told him that his elderly wife could be pregnant after she had been found barren. Does that sound familiar to you? John was described to them. Have the, fulfill this great prophecy that was some 400 years earlier in Malachi about a prophet who would be like Elijah, who would then come and turn the hearts of Israel to the Lord and the hearts of the fathers towards their children. Jesus himself said of John in Luke 7, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Okay? John had a prophecy about his life. He had a miraculous birth. He was born to a family with incredible status. And pull within the temple worship system. But then weirdly, he chose to isolate, go into the wilderness for a long time, and then come back to preach this. Mark 1.4, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John had so much going for him. He had his own followers, his own disciples. He easily could have led a ton of people in whatever agenda he wanted, but then he met Jesus. Listen to this. Literally, when he saw Jesus, John 1, 29, this is what he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John knew who Jesus was and immediately had the posture of humility seeing Jesus. And then this is his, what he's kind of known for and what, we, what is so good. John three thirty. he says, He must increase, but I must decrease. Okay, he had the accolades. He had the history, the family. He could do it. But he said, he must increase. I must decrease. John knew who he was and what he was to do. The Apostle Paul, formerly Saul, if you know his story, was one of the chief persecutors of the early Christians. Right? In fact, one of the early deacons for the church named Stephen was stoned to death for following and teaching the way of Jesus. Acts 7 tells us that Stephen was being stoned, Acts 7, 58. Then they cast him, the people, then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Right, in the people's mind, this wasn't like a hateful thing or a terrorist thing. This was justice because Stephen, they truly believed was speaking blasphemy and lies about God because they believed in the Pharisees' religion about God. So they followed the ruthlessness of the Pharisees and their view of justice without compassion, who Saul was this up-and-coming Pharisee with lots of pull, and he was popular. He was a young hotshot for the temple, a strict keeper of the law. But of course, if you know his story, he has this incredible encounter with Jesus. Go read it in Acts 9. Changes him forever. But he doesn't forget his former life. He doesn't forget his accolades. Later in Philippians, he has this conversation where he's writing to the early church of all the human reasons he has to be proud of his accomplishments. Let's look at this list Philippians 3, 4 through 7. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law. Blameless. Like, what a line, right? This guy has it all according to what it means to following God on paper. But what changed him forever was Jesus. After Jesus, there was this realization that none of the power of God actually came from him. He was not the source of the power because of his accomplishments, but it's actually, when he lost, his prowess. When he lost his accolades, then God used him in a mighty way. Here's how he includes or concludes that list he just gave. Philippians 3, 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He chooses not to take his pride and identity in these things anymore because he knows his true identity is not in that human tri- pride anymore, but it's in who Jesus says he is. The beautiful reality of who you are in Christ is unchanging for Paul. This is the consistent state of Christ's victory on our behalf that we can celebrate continuously. We can be a people marked by celebration because we know who we are in Christ no matter how well or poorly we perform. But I want to point this out. In both those interactions, it was the meeting of Christ that changed them. Not just knowledge about God or accolades for what they did for God. Why? Because of who Christ is, he literally remakes them into a new creation, and he remakes us into a new creation. Paul writes 2 Corinthians 5 17, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. If you ever ask that question, like who am I, or who are we? Well first, if you're in Christ, you need to say, well I am literally made new. That's first. We don't remake ourselves. We don't give ourselves identity. We are given a new identity in Christ. Just listen to these words from Paul. Listen to how he describes it. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In Ephesians 4.22, he says, therefore, to, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through de- deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Like, if you're like me, sometimes you just go through these seasons of struggling with identity, okay? Who am I? What am I going to do? You know, all the, all the questions, right? But if you believe and you follow Jesus and just take a big breath, <laughs> take a huge breath and realize you don't have to necessarily decide that for yourself, That part of you that wants to figure it out so badly and can't help but seek its own glory was crucified with Christ. Now it is Christ working uniquely through you and and me, and the joy that we get to be used for the kingdom is all that matters. Here's a celebration in who we are, that we are released from the burden of making a name for ourselves. Right? What we need to know in the rhythm of celebration is that we were made new in Christ, and it is now Christ who lives in us. That is an unchanging forever grace that we have been given, and this makes our celebration not rooted in the flesh, but rooted in the spirit, which then leads us to the last point. We are a people marked by celebration when we know where we are headed. Okay? This is a marking of celebration that doesn't just stand alone, right? It's built on the other two, as we already talked about it. When we know the narrative God has for us, and we put ourselves in that, when we know who God says we are, and we let him give us identity, then we can trust what he says is then ahead for us. So we can celebrate in confidence that what is ahead of us is secure and trustworthy. No matter what difficulty or turmoil we face, and man, After the last two years, we we know difficulty, right? We know some turmoil, right? We know a new level of this. We have a hope that is unchanging and unaffected by our present hardships, okay? Jesus says in John 16, 33, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, celebrate, because I have overcome the world. So if we know what story we're a part of, if we know the core of who we are in Christ, there's a lot of implications for our future. First is that we have a future with Jesus. What did Jesus tell his disciples? John 14, three. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. That's where I am. You may be also. And like our friend Thomas asked, well, you might ask, how do, how do we know the way? Jesus told him, 14, six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We keep reminding ourselves in this that this is not on some merit of our own, but on Jesus and Jesus alone and his saving grace. And though the guarantee of this future has its foundation in Jesus, he actually gave his followers something that is this deposit of the guarantee of our future, and that is the Holy Spirit. John 16 is an incredible study in the work of the Holy Spirit, but the disciples are bummed out that Jesus was leaving, and Jesus says this, John 16, 6, But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. The Helper, the Holy Spirit. And what will the Holy Spirit do? First, he's a guaranteer of our salvation. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Another way to say it is he is our constant, never changing, never going away reminder of the promise that God is with us and we, we have a future with him. This is incredible, right? What else in our lives is a real guarantee forever, right? Literally nothing outside of the Holy Spirit and his guarantee of our future with God. This is a guarantee that means we belong to God and with God forever, okay? And if you love God, that's a reason to celebrate. Only God can do this kind of work. Now back to Jesus in John 16, the disciples' reaction to him leaving and how he was leaving again was sadness, 1620. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. It'll feel like this. What's happening? Why are we sad? You will be sorrowful. This is what Jesus says. But your sorrow will turn into joy. And this is his analogy. John 16, 21. It's like when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Ladies? Truth? Yeah? First century single Jewish man, did he get it right? (laughs) He was Jesus, so he had something, right? Your sorrow will turn to joy. Your sorrow will be like the pains of childbirth, but the result is incredible joy. Even though right now, in your circumstances, oftentimes, there will not feel like there's a reason to celebrate. But God promises there is a hopeful and joyful future that we can count on. This Holy Spirit that is in us will remind us of this hope and also give us this gift of unwavering joy in the face of difficult circumstances. That's the true celebration is joy, right? Because here's the thing, joy belongs to the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 has that list of the fruits of the Spirit. These things belonging to the Spirit, joy is right there, right? Right? And this, of course, then this makes us on earth ambassadors of this joy, right? As we live our lives with hope in the future God has for us and promises us, we don't establish the kingdom of heaven ourselves. We don't make God come to earth by our good deeds, but the scriptures call us his new temple for his spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.19, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Right. The, the language I've heard is God has set up these embassies of heaven all over the place, and that should be what the church is. Right. Church is the people, not the building, just like real representatives of their country are not a building are not the, the but the ambassadors and the embassies go together. Right. This hub city church building is just a building. Right, this might be considered kind of the embassy for, of the, for, for Albany for the city, but the people are the ambassadors that make it something. Ambassadors representing something in a foreign land, representing heaven in a foreign land. Why do you think, especially in kind of older generations, they cared so much about the beautiful cathedral-style churches? I love that we have a couple here in Albany, just so cool. I was just driving by White Spire the other day. You know, and then there's like an actual castle on like Fifth Street or whatever. Right? This kind of, what would represent heaven? A warehouse? Uh, Just a building downtown that's kind of confusing? This huge cathedral? What would represent this? But that's the beauty of it, right? That heaven invades everywhere because it's in the people. It's in us. The temple is everywhere because it's the spirit in us. Um, One of my favorite bands uh, is called Johnny Swim. Don't worry, it's not metal, so you can actually go listen to it. It just came out with an album, and one of their singles is called Heaven is Everywhere. Go listen to it. It's a really beautiful song. But this is just the chord. This is what he sings. Well, look at us dancing. We don't need all the answers. Don't need them. Don't need them to know. Heaven is everywhere. Heaven is everywhere. Heaven is everywhere. Can't you feel it? Right? Jesus says to his disciples, John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Is that not celebration? Joy beyond circumstances that is full, and that is a people with a future. We should be full of joy knowing what comes next, and this is cause for a life marked by celebration. Now, there's much more to say of course, on any subject that you can just go to town on. I feel like we only scratch the surface of celebration but again what I'm not a good how-to guy. I'm not the guy to stand up here and say like so how are we going to celebrate well right should we do this? should we do not, should we do that? What does the Bible say about should we have alcohol? should we dance? should we play loud music or rock music right? But for me, I'm less concerned about those questions of celebration and more about us being, The kind of people whose lives are marked less by the events, but that our whole lives would be a celebration of who God is and his promises to us, right? I want to give kind of the framework and the filter now that we can go through our celebration processes, right? The people of God should be known for their celebration and joy. And one of the reasons we wanted to end this kind of little series on celebration is because it's not necessarily the reason we practice all these rhythms of grace, right? If I were to say like, well, you're only going to follow God because you're going to celebrate it and you're always going to feel like it, you all will call BS, right? (laughs) Bible stories, that's what it stands for, okay? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Um, But as we've said, right, these rhythms are less about what we do and more about what these rhythms are doing to us, right? If we know and are known in a community, if our worship of God is in alignment with who he really is, if we can openly reveal and confess the state of our hearts, knowing forgiveness and grace will abound, then there is cause for great joy and celebration. Amen? All right. Richard Foster, that has been a really helpful book. It's called Celebrate celebration of disciplines i would encourage you to go read it it has much more to say and and more brilliantly but he puts this joy is the end result of the spiritual disciplines as functioning in our lives god brings about the transformation of our lives through the disciplines and we will not know genuine joy until there is a transforming work within us many people try to come into joy far too soon Often we try to pump up people with joy when in reality nothing has happened in their lives. God has not broken into the routine experiences of their daily existence. This is huge. Celebration comes when the common ventures of life are redeemed. That's what I care so much for us, right? That we would just be a people that are doing regular things with joy. Not the big parties, not the big thing. There's time for that, right? But that we do regular things with just this joy that is questionable. We always jokingly say we should be a questionable people, <laughs> not because we're doing something wrong, because we're saying, how can you do this? How in, in coming out of COVID, or how can you have a, have a hard life, or how can, and how can you have this joy that just I don't understand? right? And hopefully our answer is nothing less than Jesus. And as we've been asking lately, I just want to ask us right now, how are we doing with this, being marked by celebration? Are we a people whose lives are marked by celebration? Would people say we are full of joy, that, the, that Jesus says that your joy may be full? Is that true of us? Are we marked by celebration because of the story of God? Are we marked by celebration because of who God says we are? And are we marked by celebration because of where we are headed? And I would just add, is our celebration based on the unwavering promises of God, or is it in our circumstances from day to day? And today, if you choose it's in God and it's in his promises, it's in who he says we are, then that is who we get to respond to today. We get to sing songs like the psalm said, sing God. We don't have clashing symbols. We should have had that today, right? but just seeing what just everything we have to our God. We get to pray with our God. We get to have communion as a, as a fellowship together, remembering what Christ has given us, that Hebrews 10 where he did it once and for all. And we're not going to atone for sins. We're going to be under the grace of Jesus and his atonement. I want to pray for us. I want to pray for us as we go to respond that we can worship the king who says that he wants his joy to be made complete within us. So let's celebrate our God first through prayer and then by being really loud in our worship.